Today you get to hear our preaching intern preach his first sermon for us this summer. You may not be aware, but what's gone on in our culture has been referred to as the Great Resignation, meaning lots of people over the last couple of years have left their careers and their jobs and transitioned into something else. Well, that's affected ministry and churches as well. And there is a great lack of guys that are stepping up and entering into ministry and into pulpits. And so I am so grateful that as a church, one of the things that we do is we're trying to help fill a void and give an opportunity for a guy like Brandon Reynolds to learn and grow. So I'm going to pray over him. Brandon's a uh, junior, senior. He's going to be graduating a year. He's got all kinds of hours racked up. So he's going to be graduating in one year uh, at eight, from Abilene Christian where he's looking to go into ministry. But this summer, we get to be blessed by him, and I've already been impressed with his diligence, his love for Scripture, his love for proclamation, and we're going to be blessed today. So if you would, let me pray over him, then I'll turn it over to Brandon. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us through Brandon today, open your word, change our hearts, and let us see you in a fresh and challenging way. Father, don't let us be the same people that we came in but be different because you have been at work. Give him the words. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I am so excited to be with y'all today. I'm so excited to get to share a message with y'all today. This message has been working on me for like two weeks now, um, and so I'm excited to get to share it with you in hopes that it will do the same thing for you. So, I'm going to take you back about a year to last summer. I was working as a lifeguard at the rec center in Roswell, New Mexico. That's where I'm from. That's where I went to high school. Um, so, I was working as a lifeguard there. And I had kind of climbed the ranks. I had kind of, you know, played the game with my boss. And he liked me and he respected me. And he thought I was a diligent worker. And so, he kind of gave me the reins over the morning shift. So I would typically show up around 5.45 or 6 in the morning, and it was my job to open up the pool. Sometimes there would be other lifeguards there, sometimes my boss would be there, and sometimes it would just be me alone. So I took this responsibility very seriously, because if I wasn't going to do it, no one was. Well, speaking of me not doing it, um, let me tell you a story. I woke up to a phone call from my boss about mid-June, and as I, you know, shoot up in the chaos, turn to answer my phone, I look, I see it's from my boss, I'm already like, oh no, what's going on? Then I look at my phone, and I see the clock, and it's 6.45, and I was supposed to be there an hour ago. And in that moment, I had a wake-up call. See what I did there? So you might be asking, what is a wake-up call? Well, for the purpose of this sermon, I'm going to define a wake-up call as an event that inspires us or alerts us to the need to change our behavior. A wake-up call is something that tells you what you're doing right now isn't working and you have to change something. Maybe your wake-up call was a lot more serious than mine. Maybe your boss came to you and said, listen, what you're doing isn't cutting it. And you need to start improving on your work. 
Maybe your spouse came to you and said what you're doing isn't cutting it and something needs to change. Maybe your doctor came to you and said what you're doing isn't cutting it and if you don't change something soon, your health is not going to be in the place that it needs to be. Maybe your wake-up call was a test result. And the mortality of life struck you harder than it ever has before. Maybe it was something as simple as a fender bender that woke you up to the need to pay better attention while you're driving. See, the thing about wake-up calls is they're never fun. They're never enjoyable. They're always stressful. They're always chaotic. Sometimes they're annoying. More than often, they're painful, and yet they're important, and they're essential to life as a human, but more so to life as a Christian. And so today, we're going to be talking about a man in the Bible who got a little bit of a wake-up call on his own. So we're going to be landing in Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 12, so if you want to go ahead and get that ready... Um, we're going to kind of land there. But first, I have to give you some background, some context to this story. So today, we're going to be talking about David. That's already been spoiled for you. Sorry. Um, and you need to know some things about David. The biggest thing you need to know about David is that he was meant to be the good king. He was meant to be the king that showed not only Israel... And not only the other nations surrounding Israel, but to prove to God that there could be a king in Israel who would honor him. And for the majority of his life, David does a wonderful job of that. David is the one who wrote the majority of the book of Psalms that we read. David was the one of whom it was said he was a man after God's own heart. So David does a good job for the majority of his life. But when he falls, he falls hard and he falls fast. This story starts with David lounging around on his couch. And see, here's the first sign that David is not being who he's called to be. Because he's lounging around his couch. And good kings don't stay at home while their men are off at war. And David's men are off in the battlefield, sleeping in tents and fighting the Ammonites. And David is at home, relaxing on his couch. And after relaxing on his couch, he goes ahead and goes up on his roof, maybe to enjoy the sunlight, maybe to enjoy a gentle breeze coming through in the evening. And while he's up there, he sees a beautiful woman bathing on another roof. And he says to his servants, go inquire about that woman. Go get me some information about her. And so they do. And they bring back to him, that is Bathsheba. She is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David would have known who Uriah is. Uriah is one of David's most trusted soldiers. In fact, he would have been in the equivalent to what we know as the secret service. So Uriah and David would have been close. Uriah would have been loyal even to death to David. And yet, 
David still says to his servants, go and fetch her for me and bring her to me. And so they do. And David commits adultery with Bathsheba. And he sends her on her merry way back to her home. Well, some time passes. And the moment comes where it's time for Bathsheba to send a messenger of her own. And the messenger comes to David. And he says to him, Bathsheba is with child. And that child happens to be yours. And at this moment, the phone rings. Not literally. The figurative phone rings. And David shoots up from bed. And he has a decision to make. Am I going to answer it? Or am I going to go back to sleep? And he ignores it. He ignores the wake-up call, and he goes back to sleep. And he keeps on living in his sin. So he says, I have to hide this sin. Because I'm not going to come out and say it. That would be a huge scandal for the kingdom. The only positive thing that I can do, the only good way I can get out of this is to hide the sin. And so that's what he attempts to do. He calls Uriah home from battle under the guise of desiring to know about the war effort. And after Uriah reports things about the war to him, he says to Uriah, go spend some time with your wife. Ah, the real motivation has come out. David wants Uriah to go spend time with his wife so that he will think the child is his and not David's. But Uriah, being the righteous man that he is, refuses. And he says, I'm not going to go spend time with my wife while my men are out sleeping in tents. So he sleeps on the steps of the kingdom. And this is wake-up call number two. David has seen the righteousness of Uriah brought to bear. And now he has the decision whether he will choose to be righteous or whether he will choose to keep on sinning. And again, he ignores it and lets it go to voicemail. So he says, okay, we have to get this guy home to Bathsheba. So he comes up with a new plan. Let's get him drunk. And maybe he'll stumble his way back home and spend some time with his wife. Yet even in his drunkenness, Uriah is too righteous to go home and spend time with his wife while his men are off sleeping in tents. There's another wake-up call opportunity, yet he ignores it again. And finally, David says, okay, I'm obviously not going, deception isn't going to work. I have to jump to a more permanent solution. So David resorts to murder. And he sends Uriah back to the front lines with his own death sentence in his hand. He sends David, or he sends Uriah back to the front lines with a letter for the general Joab, the general of the Israelite army. And Uriah delivers it to him without looking in it because he's a righteous man. Joab reads the message and it says, Press the attack against the Ammonites. And when the battle is at its most dangerous, when it's at its hottest, put Uriah in the front lines, draw back, and leave him for dead. And so Joab, being the general, does exactly as his king commands him. And Uriah dies. 
And now David gets another message. The message of Uriah's death. And he responds in a cold and pitiless way. He says, such is the fate of a soldier. And this response shows us that David had forgotten who he was called to be. Because the thing is, even before this, David was a man who mourned the death of anyone. He mourns the death of his greatest enemy in his entire life, a man who tried to kill him for the majority of his life. Yet when the news comes of the death of his, one of his greatest soldiers, he has no pity and he has nothing to say. And he ignores the call once again. And so finally, God decides, I'm going to send him a call that he can't ignore. And that call comes in the form of a man, a man named Nathan, the prophet of the Lord. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan comes to David, and he has a story for him. Starting in verse 1, read along with me. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Story is over. Now we get the reaction. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Does that sound familiar? A man taking something that wasn't his. Taking the only thing that someone had and having no pity. I'm sure David, the reason his anger was so kindled was because he knew what it was like to be that rich man, and he was really angry with himself. And Nathan puts the hammer to the nail in verse 7. Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the one who took the one thing from somebody, the only thing they had, when you had all the things that you could have ever imagined, all the things that you could have ever wanted, yet you took the one thing that Uriah had. And worse than this, this rich man, you put him to death just so you could have that one thing. And I can imagine David's jaw on the floor at the audacity of the prophet of the Lord to come to him and say something like this. I can imagine the guilt and the, and the rage that he had turned toward that rich man, all being turned right back at him. 
And I can honestly imagine the relief. Because the sin that he had committed, the horrible act that he had committed, had been sitting in his heart for about a year now. People say that the child was probably about a year old at this point. And it's finally been brought out into the open. And he has to face it. And the phone rings. And he's faced with that decision once again. Are you going to answer it? Or are you going to let it go to voicemail? And finally he picks up the phone. He finally answers the call. So what does David do? When he receives his wake-up call. Those words, you are the man, are the biggest wake-up call he could have ever needed. So how does he react when he gets that wake-up call? Well, he does two things. He repents. And this isn't a kind of repentance where he shames himself. This isn't a kind of repentance that leads to self-loathing. This is also not a kind of repentance that leads to excuses. Or comparison. It's not the kind of repentance where he says, yeah, the thing I did was bad, but have you seen what those guys do? Or, yeah, the thing I did was bad, but I did it for this reason, so it was fine. No, David's repentance is simple repentance of acknowledging what he has done. And after he repents, he worships. He goes to the house of the Lord. And he worships. So let's look at verse 13. This is the moment in which David repents. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. He doesn't justify and he doesn't shame. He just brings it out and says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now let's look at his worship. And the thing is, David's worship doesn't come consequence-free. Because after this comes to be known, there's going to be huge scandal in Israel. Everyone's going to know that their king, their good king, slept with a man's wife and then killed him. But not only is there going to be a huge scandal, David is going to lose the child that he has with Bathsheba. And he's going to mourn. Yet in response to the consequences that come with sin, he does not lay down and die. Instead, he gets up and he goes to the house of the Lord and he worships. Look at verse 20. Then David arose from the earth... And washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. His response to his wake-up call, his response to his sin, is not to run away and hide, but to run to the one who forgives him. So, I have bad news and I have good news. The bad news is that wake-up calls are not just reserved for ancient kings in Israel. And they're not just reserved for adulterers, and they're not just reserved for murderers 
And they're not just reserved for those who overdose on drugs. And they're not reserved for any amount of chaotic thing. They are reserved for you today. Because the thing is, David had to go through wake-up call after wake-up call after wake-up call before he finally decided to answer. But today has the opportunity to be your wake-up call. And that is the good news. It's that today is your opportunity to answer the call. Because if y'all are anything like me, you let it go to voicemail, and you let it go to voicemail, and you let it go to voicemail. And today gives you the chance to finally wake up and answer the call. So if you want to answer the call, what do we need to do? How do we need to respond in order to answer the call? Well, if we follow the pattern that David sets for us, we need to repent and we need to worship. And something I didn't bring up earlier, but I need to bring up now, is that notice that when David says, I have sinned against the Lord, the very next thing that is stated is, and Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. The very next thing after repentance is forgiveness. Forgiveness comes even before the consequences do. And the same is true for you today. That forgiveness instantly follows repentance. There is no period of guilt. There is admonition of sin and then forgiveness of sin. They go hand in hand. And that is why we worship. We worship because we know that our God has forgiven our sin before we even committed it. We worship because we know that the second we fess up, God has put away our sin. And worship is the only appropriate response. And so that leads us to our big thesis question of this series. Can you imagine what God will do through you if you will just let him? Can you imagine what God will do in your families if you were just honest with your spouse about the sin you're struggling with? Can you imagine what God will do with your families if you are honest with your children about the reasons you treat them the way that you do? Can you imagine what God will do through this church if we stopped trying to hide from our sin, faced it in the open, and then ran to the Father? And if we showed the community what it looks like to be a repentant church, and what it looks like to be a church that worships God from forgiveness, not for forgiveness. Because the thing is, if you don't answer this call, you will be unable to answer any other call that God has for you on your life. You will be unwilling to. Because until you face your sin, until you come to the realization that you can do nothing aside from the power of Jesus Christ alone, you will be incapable and unwilling to answer any other call that God has on your life. So today, the wake-up call has come through. 
the phone has rung, you have sat up in bed, and just like David, you have a choice to make. Are you going to answer the phone? Or are you going to go right on back to sleep? Because the thing is, if you don't answer the phone, just like me, you can't be at work while you're sleeping. I'm going to pray for us that God will convict our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much for the act of conviction, but more importantly, for the act of forgiveness. God, I repent. I have sinned against the Lord. And I will sin against the Lord. But I come to you and I worship you because I know that you are a father who does not condemn, but a father who forgives. God, convict our hearts and help us honor you. And thank you so much for your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're going to throw the response slide up. If you need anything, if you need prayer, if you need to talk to someone, we're going to have ministers at the front, or you can send a text to this name, and we will get with you. Do not let today be an empty wake-up call. Respond to the Father who forgives. If this is your first wake-up call, we would love to talk to you and walk with you through that process. Join with me as we stand and as we sing.